Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Born to Rain. It is good to have you guys with us. Mm -hmm. uh, we are rounding a corner here in the life of Born to Rain. Yeah. This is kind of a uh, the last episode of the first season. Um, yeah. We're kind of changing up some of the things that we're doing here. So we've got some surprises, a new segment here for you yeah. in this episode. In this you don't episode. have to go searching for a nope. separate episode. Yeah. We're going to have a special segment for it's you new. here in the middle of it. We're entering new. a new dispensation in Born to Rain. New administration. A new covenant. Not to say that we're replacing the old <laughs> one. Um, Born to Rain isn't going anywhere. This is just um, we don't growing in... and maturing. Yeah. It's like, it's like fruition. Yeah. You know, not replacement podcasting, fruition podcasting. Fruition you know? podcasting. We did not come to abolish Born to Rain, but to fulfill Born to yeah. Rain. And with that, we should probably just stop there before <laughs> uh, we get brought up on uh, charges of blasphemy or something. Because um, mm -hmm. we're going to have plenty to talk about with this episode. Oh, yeah. Because we're talking about baptism. And in particular, the baptism of infants. Yep. Which is fun. Um, and as we like, we are fond of saying around here at Born to Rain, one it's one of our topics. favorite topics. So mm -hmm. we're, we're going to be discussing a biblical defense of the baptism of infants. And so I think one of the places we want to start here is to, to clarify a few misconceptions mm -hmm. um, before we kind of really dive into the, the actual scriptural arguments. And that is, uh, Jeremiah, I think you want to define where we differ with Rome yeah. on specifically on the, the topic of baptism and the baptism of infants. Right. Like, obviously, this was a very large controversy, but I'm just going to try to dumb it down. Where we differ from Rome is not that we baptize infants. We both baptize infants. We differ from Rome in that we don't think that our water is magic. We don't mm -hmm. believe that whoever is baptized is automatically regenerated, automatically saved. We believe that the water, the washing, the physical washing is a sign of a spiritual reality. Right. So we believe as surely as our children are washed with the water, they are washed with the blood of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we reject that everybody who's baptized with water is saved. Automatically. We re yeah. Automatically. We, we reject that. Uh, obviously, Simon the sorcerer was baptized, but he wasn't saved. Right. Uh, so we don't believe in what's called baptismal regeneration in the Roman Catholic sense. We don't believe in what's called ex opere operato, that out of the working it is worked, out of the water you are baptized. We reject that. Because we believe in justification by faith. Exactly. Because you, you can't say, uh, if, if you say that baptism, the, the actual act of baptism is what saves you, then you say that you're, you're saved by work. That gets you into yeah. some big, some significant theological problems. Right. Um, and, and you have to deny a whole bunch of important scriptural principles. Right. Unless uh, somebody think that I can almost hear Paul kind of like how he says in the book of Hebrews talking about the sacrifices, you can almost hear him kind of saying, are you, are you stupid? These sacrifices were never saving you. They never right. could save you. They never will save you. It was all pointing towards what Christ would do. But some of the Jews got mixed up and thought these sacrifices actually save us. Right. Same with baptism. The ordinances don't actually save you. It points towards what does save you, and that's Jesus Christ. Right. It's like watching the movie trailer over and over and over again, and then showing up with a group of friends and claiming that you've seen the movie. You're right. Like, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've seen this all the time, and yeah, you know, you're just making it up as you go along. Right. Um, without ever actually 
seeing that reality come to come mm-hmm. to fruition. So that out of the way, right? We don't believe that baptism saves you. That's that's not the automatic conveyance of magic water to right. um, to automatically make you a Christian. We believe baptism of the Holy Spirit saves you, right? <laughs> Which is an important clarification, right? But the big question comes down to what is baptism before you can even get to defending why infants should be baptized. You you have to define what the baptism is and what it what it means and then who should be baptized mm-hmm. is kind of the, the question. Here, here's the general theology and then who should receive this sign because it is a sign of a spiritual uh, reality. So right. you have to kind of define what the, what the spiritual reality is. Um, so we rewind all the way back to the Old Testament. As Co- always. We love the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. It's God's word. Um, we love God's word. Um, you go back and you find Abram. Uh, Abram is given the covenant. God gives his covenant, makes his covenant with uh, Abram. And the mark of the covenant, as he's calling Abram from the pagan world, he's saying, you are going to be my chosen person. I'm calling you out of the pagan world. And to differentiate you from the rest of the pagans, I'm giving you a sign. The sign was circumcision for him. Mm-hmm. He receives that that mark that identifies him and his descendants as separate from the rest of the world. We belong to God is what this what the sign is is meaning. Mm-hmm. And it was said to be an everlasting sign. Uh, it's it was given to last. Uh, through all generations. Mm-hmm. God said, I establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant uh, to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. Mm-hmm. So Abraham, his descendants receive this blessing of being God's people. Right. What we're told then in the book of Jeremiah is that we're not supposed to view the physical mark as the only thing that matters right to address that idea of rome and their um believing that the actual act uh conveys that right what we're saying and what scripture teaches in in jeremiah is that unless the, the circumcision of the heart takes place unless the old fleshly nature is cut away taking a physical mark doesn't do anything for mm-hmm. you it, it doesn't accomplish anything you're just getting wet if you're mm-hmm. if you're um, being baptized in in the new covenant, you're just getting wet. If the baptism of your heart doesn't happen, well, I think uh, you're assuming something between baptism and circumcision here. <laughs> uh oh, to talk uh, about that, later. That, that might get us in trouble here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> might be putting the, the cart in front of the horse. Um, but what you're saying is absolutely true. For example, in the book of one of the law books, I don't remember. It says that he who will enter the temple must be circumcised in heart and mm-hmm. in flesh. Yeah. So circumcision was a physical sign that pointed to a spiritual reality. Right. Romans 4.11 says that Abraham believed and it was credited to him for righteousness and he was circumcised as a sign and seal of that faith which he had. Right. So circumcision was a sign of faith. And, lest somebody say, that was only a sign of faith for Abraham and nobody else, that doesn't hold up because all throughout the prophetic books, all throughout... Uh, the Old Testament, the prophets are coming to the Israelites and saying, be circumcised of heart. And that holds no water if it didn't mean faith for them. Right. 
Well, and just to just to bring it down to Abraham and his house, God made the covenant with Abraham, but told him everybody in his house had to had to receive this mark. Okay, Tim. So what you're saying is, God made a co- covenant with Abraham, gave him a sign of faith, and then said, "Give that sign of faith to your infant son." Yep, on the eighth day. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. So then, what that means? Those who would say you can't give the sign of faith to your children because they don't have faith or they can't repent or something like that, they're really arguing with God when he told Abraham to do that very thing. In a, in a, in a pretty significant way, yes. And, and before we even get to connecting um, baptism with uh, circumcision, because circumcision, okay. we are talking about baptism. This is not an episode about circumcision. Yeah. So, <laughs> but we do believe... Before people start squirming here, it's... Uh, <laughs> we do believe that they're intimately connected, that yep. the old covenant circumcision is new covenant baptism. Yeah. That they're intimately connected. Yeah. So establishing that if your heart doesn't change, if the Holy Spirit does not change the heart, the sign doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. The sign, this sign was given to Abraham to say, um, this is what you're supposed to do. This is, this is what differentiates my people from the pagans. Mm-hmm. Um, and now then you, you come forward to the, the New Testament where the people are being called to, uh, Jesus gives the, gives the command to his disciples and says, um, go into all the world, preach the gospel, um, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, that, that's the command. We're, we're told to go baptize the nations. John comes baptizing, and I guess we should probably even jump to the beginning of Jesus' ministry, is that John comes up out of the wilderness and says, Come, be baptized for the remission of your sins. Repent and receive this baptism mm-hmm. for the for the remission of your sins. So the New Testament really starts with this new thing going on. This kind of rumbling at the beginning um, as Jesus starts his ministry. You've got this. Oh my goodness! You really get this idea of what's what's coming. Mm-hmm. That this this rumbling is um, about to erupt onto the world, and John comes preaching as the forerunner um, and says, behold the Lamb of God, but I'm here baptizing um, baptizing uh, for the remission of sins. He, I baptize you with water. He'll baptize you with fire and with the Holy Spirit. Hmm. So we have the, these two different um, realities being signified right there, a, a baptism with water, a physical baptism, but also a filling, a, a spiritual reality that that's that John recognizes as one thing. Right. And the historical reform teaching is that's called sacramental union, mm-hmm. that those are connected because God wants us to have the physical sign of the spiritual reality. Right. So there, there's a union there. But I want to back up to Genesis 17, talk about circumcision as an everlasting sign. Yeah. So in Genesis 17, God says, this is an everlasting sign in your flesh of my covenant. Well, if it's everlasting, that means it can't ever go away. And if Abraham's covenant is still relevant, which it is, Galatians 3 says, Paul says a covenant cannot be annulled once it is made and that we are sons of Abraham, partakers in the Abrahamic covenant. Paul teaches that. 
well then in some way or another, we must be circumcised because it's because it is an everlasting sign. Right. Well, if you read more of Paul, he kind of starts to clarify very well. He says, so then if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirement, they will not be regarded as though they were circumcised. So, and then he keeps on going and he said, a person is not a Jew who was one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. So he's reiterating what Jeremiah the prophet. He's, yeah, he's reiterating said. what we've seen all along, that circumcision is a sign of faith. Even, and even if you're physically circumcised, if you don't have faith, you really aren't circumcised. Because Jesus comes and says, you guys claim to be a part of Abraham's covenant. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You guys claim to be sons of Abraham. You claim these things. You try and claim these blessings. But because there is no faith, you are actually children of the devil. Mm-hmm. You're actually worshiping Satan. You're not honoring God. You're not part of the, the real people of God. Mm-hmm. You're, ju- you're just going through the motions. Right. Um, which all Christians believe that going through the motions gets you into trouble. Right. <laughs> it, it, it creates um, a false piety. It creates a false, um, a false sense of security that, that um, just going to church saves you, that just uh, being baptized saves you, that mm-hmm. just because your parents were Christians, um, that that automatically saves you. Um, it's a massively problematic um, view, and it becomes very... Um, presumptive that when you say, oh, if I just do the right things, I'm saved. Mm -hmm. Jesus, the apostle Paul, the prophets, specifically Jeremiah, as we're talking here, point to those things and say, this has to happen, but these are everlasting signs. God demands these things. And so that's where we, we already are seeing, and just in this discussion, there's some significant continuity between Mm -hmm. the old Testament and the new Testament. Right. That, um, there's a blank page in our Bible that separates the two. Um, but the apostles and Jesus himself didn't make that distinction as right. clearly as we try to make that. Mm-hmm. Um, they would probably view it as one page. Oh, you're just turning a page in a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of, a lot of us have a this tendency to try and view um, that as a wall. It's, it's two different cities right. almost. You have this, this the Old Testament city, the New Testament city, um, and instead of viewing it as one um, continuous thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul continues in Romans 2. He says, circumcision is circumcision of the heart mm-hmm. by the Spirit. So that's pretty clear, right? So, yeah. Paul, so Paul's teaching on circumcision from Abraham up to his very day is that circumcision is not merely a physical thing. Right. Just because you're circumcised, you're not saved. Circumcision is a physical sign of a spiritual reality, and that spiritual reality is faith. Right. And God said, give it to your children. Pass it Because on. in Genesis, God said, my covenant, Abraham, is with you and your offspring. So when God brings people into covenant, he brings not only the head of the household, but also, but also the household itself. So I always I always like to say if if history is God playing Jenga, the blocks that he's stacking are not individuals, they're households. Right. God doesn't play with individuals, he plays with households. With oikos, it's called in in Greek. So God does not leave the children out. 
of the picture. They're right. always included in the covenant from the very beginning. Right. Because if you just, if you just look at that, the, the view from Abraham, it says that he did it to all of his servants. Can you imagine if they're going, hey, do you, God made this covenant with me. Do you believe that covenant as well? They're like, and, and if you do, we're going we're gonna to do this to you. Then I don't believe that. I'm going back to uh, Ur. <laughs> you know, um, he, he's not waiting on a profession of faith right. from his servants and from his children, Ishmael and Isaac. One of the other really important things there is Ishmael received the sign of the covenant. Mm-hmm. And Ishmael is the figurehead. He's the poster child for apostasy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in order to, to go and say, okay, all of these, um, the, the, the necessity of uh, the household that, that you have, the father saying, this is what we do as a family. Mm-hmm. This, this is our house. And it's God then who cuts through that and says, I am. I choose to save whom I'm going to save, mm-hmm. um, and we le- we leave that to God. But in the words of Joshua, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Um, and J- Joshua didn't say, as for me and those in my household who have made a profession of faith, we will serve the Lord. Right. The biblical way of leading your household is you don't give your children a choice. Your children are Christians, whether they like it or not. Right. That's the biblical way of raising children. They're they're raised in a Christian household, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's one of the the, the really interesting things is, is when when we would reference, let's reference a Christian household. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that down to the last individual, they're automatically regenerate people, or does that mean that mother and father have um, united themselves with Christ and said this is a Christian household? Mm-hmm. We we submit to the, the word of God as our final authority in this house. This is what dictates how this house runs. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's not a democracy. It's not a, oh, um, you know, we're not, uh, what's, what's the word? Ecumenical. Right. <laughs> you know, this church isn't, uh, this house isn't a, oh, whatever you feel like being, you can, you can be, mom and dad are going to be Christians and then the daughter can be Buddhist and the other can be a, a, a Hindu and, you know, all that. No, no, it, the Bible teaches that, the head, the faith of the father, is the faith of the household, and God calls the household to worship Him, mm-hmm. and He deals then, uh, electing individuals. He's cutting through that household and saying, "I'm I'm redeeming each and every one mm-hmm. of them." And this speaks to a deeper covenant reality that I want to point out. Abraham is the covenant head of his family. Right. So in a covenant, you always have a head, mm-hmm. a, a representative, who takes on the responsibility of. Uh, doing stuff for other people. For example, Adam was our covenant head, Romans 5 says, in that when he fell, we all fell. Right. Well, Tim, me and you weren't there. Me and you didn't do anything wrong. We we weren't we we aren't Adam. It's not my fault. But, <laughs> but as our covenant head, he fell for us. And that's a reality that we live in. So some people say that's unjust. Well, it can't be unjust because Jesus Christ as our covenant head, lived for us, fulfilled the law for us, died for us. You didn't do that. Right. So you can't raise an argument against a covenant head making a profession of faith on behalf of his family because then you're making an argument against Christianity as it is. Right. Jesus Christ 
made a profession of faith on behalf of you, that he's your high priest, always making, always living to make intercession for you. So that's a, that's just a reality. The Bible is covenantal, right? Me as a father, I make a profession of faith on behalf of my children and they're baptized on, on behalf of me or because of my faith, because I was brought into the covenant and I brought my household with me and God is going to hold my children accountable for that. Well, do you see that in scripture? Absolutely. I was born into sin. I'm being held accountable for something Adam did. Right. Well, and just look from Abraham down. Abraham put his, his children were under that. Ishmael falls away. He does not receive the blessings of being part of that, but he's still held accountable to it. Yeah. Isaac remains faithful. Isaac has two children, Esau and Jacob. God maintains that covenant with Jacob. Jacob continues and remains faithful. Esau falls away from that. That doesn't mean that God broke his covenant anywhere, but Esau was held accountable to it means that. Esau broke the covenant. Esau broke the covenant and walked away. So we're getting into something that you need to explain. Because like, I can just hear people asking, so you're saying that you're baptizing, or, oh, we're not to that yet, are we? <laughs> Barely. So <laughs> Abraham is circumcising his children based off of the promise that the covenant is between Abraham and his children, but yet his children are walking away. So what you're saying is that there are people in the covenant who aren't really saved, essentially. Yes. yes. And there, there always have been. Um, yes. And when you show up to church on Sunday... Um, there are people on the member role ultimately will not be going to heaven. Right. They they would say that they're Christian, and yet ultimately they're not living in covenant with God. Mm-hmm. They're living as rebels, baptized or not, right? Circumcised or not. It's important uh, to point out that uh, a person who does not believe in the baptism of infants may lob that accusation at us. However, if you look at, I, I grew up in Baptist churches and I know several, I know a multitude of people who walked away from the faith, mm-hmm. who were baptized. Right. So that's, so that's not something that's unique to our position. Right. That's something that's, that all of Christianity has to deal with, whether you believe in children being a part of the covenant or not. Right. Will your children walk away? I don't know. But that's not an argument against baptizing them or acknowledging that they're included in the covenant. What we're saying is that God teaches us to raise our children on this side of the fence right? as Christians. And if they walk away, walk away, well, Hebrews 10 says they'll be judged harder for it. Right. But there's a covenant reality that our children are born into the covenant and we treat them as Christians based off of a judgment of charity. We don't give them a choice. We raise them as Christians and we let God do the rest. Right. But there also is a comfort there of the, the promise of the covenant. That if you that if you are faithful, that if you do raise your children in the correct way, that God will bless you to a thousand generations, your mm-hmm. descendants, and that is comforting. And I massively comforting. Yeah. I try to remind God of that promise every day yeah. <laughs> when I'm praying for my kid. So that's that's one of the uh, benefits to the Christian life that that this type of theology offers is right. the comfort of. I believe it was Abraham Kuyper who said, the Pado Baptist believes that when he has children, he's populating heaven. The Baptist believes that when he has children, he's populating hell. Hmm. Yeah. Because we believe our children are born into the covenant. Right. Well, and the, the, the command then to the biblical parents, the Christian parents, um, is 
raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. The statement that you used just now was um, raise them on this side of the fence. Mm-hmm. You're not treating the fear and admonition of the Lord as a sales tactic, hoping that they come, hoping that they come around. Right. You're saying you were born into this, um, and you're raised in this, and we trust God to give you the faith that you need, or that He already did give it to you. Right. So that it's it's not the parent who gives the child faith. Mm-hmm. It's not the the parent who um, you're not just guaranteed to be a Christian because you were born to Christian parents, but God says, I, gi- I, you I give you. faith to right. the people who, who, who are united with me right. in baptism. Right. Um, so the, the baptized Christian parent brings their child into the covenant with them. They say, we're here, God, do what you'll do right. to this child. Well, something uh, that we're trying to get across is not just that the baptized parent brings the child into covenant with them. That's true. Even more than that, even deeper than that, we're, we are saying that the baptized parent acknowledges that their child is already in covenant with them and therefore is deserving of baptism. Right. So when God tells Abraham, circumcise your son, I think it's noteworthy that God had to come back and tell him that as if like, what, what are you thinking? What are you doing? I think God expected Abraham to know your son's a part of this because I'm covenantal. I'm a covenantal God. Mm-hmm. I, and then he had to tell Abraham to circumcise him. I think God was like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you sh- this should have been a given. So what we're saying is we don't, we don't baptize our children because we want them to be in the covenant. We baptize our children because they are in the covenant. <laughs> we recognize, we recognize our family members, right? Uh, we're all, we're all part of the, the spiritual family. We're identifying them as, hey, you have the same last name as me. We're we're, we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we've got some big passages here in front of us. Okay. Um, but before we get there, we want to introduce our listeners to a special new segment of Born to Reign. Welcome, everybody, to this new segment of Born to Rain that we are calling Smart Phrases for Stupid People. <laughs> We're going to tell you why we call it that. We're going to tell you. We both love the book of Proverbs. What do you say about raising kids according to the book of Proverbs, Jeremiah? If your son leaves your house without knowing the book of Proverbs, you have failed as a parent. I stand by that. I stand by that statement. That's that's a, a powerful statement there. Um, we're looking at Proverbs chapter one, verses one through six today. It says, "The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice and judgment and equity, to give subtlety to the simple." To the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase in learning. 
And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels, to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The book of Proverbs is a wildly practical book that is designed, uh, written as a father instructing his son. Um, And so we want to glean that, the the wisdom that comes from that, from our heavenly father um, to us to have practical wisdom for our daily life. Um, And so we, we look at this and go, the word fool is used a lot in the book of Proverbs and we're addressed as such. Um, and so we want to put ourselves in that and say, I don't want to be a fool. I want to be wise. Mm-hmm. And so these, these sayings, these one or two verse um, sayings that uh, Solomon gives us, we want to view as practical wisdom, smart phrases for stupid people. Right. And he kind of <laughs> says that, right? He says, this is for the simple. Yeah. To give subtlety to the simple. Right. Which is... An indictment to those who say, oh, a pox upon doctrine. I don't need to study doctrine. I can just be simple. I can just be the person who doesn't know anything. Right. Well, according to the book of Proverbs, you need help. You really do. Also, according to the book of Proverbs, if you're young, you're automatically kind of stupid and you and you need help. <laughs> so us as young men, you know, this book of Proverbs is for us and uh, not against us. And hopefully we will be willing to listen. And I want to read a quote from Matthew Henry. Yeah. He says, youth is the learning age catches at instructions, receives impressions, and retains and retains what is then received. Youth is rash and heady and inconsiderate. Man is born like the wild ass's coat, wild ass's colt, and therefore needs to be broken by the restraints and managed by the rules we find here. And if young people will but take heed to their ways according to Solomon's Proverbs, they will soon gain knowledge and discretion of the ancients. Mm. My boy, Matthew Henry. Oh yeah, <laughs> he never gets old. Love that guy. Well, as we look at the book of Proverbs, this is what we're going to start to do. Is we're going to drop these segments into our into our episodes, um, just looking at one proverb and just spending five or ten minutes just discussing these proverbs um, because we view them as a heavenly father instructing his stupid sons right. um, to become wise, and that's <laughs> and that's what we want to do. Um, we want to take you guys along this journey with us uh, to experience the the fullness of joy that the the Christian life has to offer. Um, And that comes from wisdom. And um, the book of James tells us that if anyone desires wisdom, he should ask God and he gives them, he gives it to all liberally. Mm. And so we want that wisdom. We're going to receive it. And we are excited to have you guys along with us as we embark on this new phase of born to reign. All right, let's get back to it. Okay. So I think we were so rudely interrupted (laughs) by some of those smart things. Um, Why does the Bible have to be so practical? (laughs) (laughs) I think what we have to, what we have to do here is to address the, the big kind of elephant in the room. Oh, what is it? Is let's look at some of these passages and say, okay, where, where, where do we derive from Scripture that it's okay to baptize babies? How, how do we distinguish that this baptism that we've established is kind of similar to circumcision, but uh, isn't, isn't the, the new covenant supposed to be uh, better? Are, are we able to, to dis- distinguish these things? Where do we prove from Scripture that 
the babies are supposed to be baptized. Mm. Well, I would say that that is not up to us. Ooh. Why? Well, because the burden of proof is on the Baptist position. The burden of proof means they have a larger thing to prove than we do. Mm. See, we have Adam, who was a covenant head over his children. We have Noah, and God said to Noah, I do establish my covenant with you and your descendants. We have Abraham. God said, I establish my covenant between you and your descendants. We have Isaac, who God said to you and your descendants. We have Jacob, to you and your descendants. We have new covenant promises, Isaiah 59, where he says, I will bless you, your descendants, and your descendants' descendants. We, we have Jeremiah 32, speaking of the new covenant, that I will bless them and their children with them. I will write the law in their hearts. We have Joel 2, speaking of the new covenant, where it says, gather the infants, a part of the congregation of the Lord, for we will worship the Lord. So all throughout the New Testament, children are considered a part of the covenant. And then in the new covenant, they're ripped out. They're violently excluded. And nobody said anything about it. Nobody, somebody forgot to tell us about that. So the burden of proof is on the Baptist to come to the New Testament and say, ch- children are no longer a part of the new co- a part of the covenant, and they need to prove to us where it says that explicitly, because if it doesn't say that explicitly, then we are to abide by the commandments of God given to us in the past. Well, when you analyze the new covenant, not only do you not find an explicit repeal of the child's place in the covenant, but you find a time after time, an affirmation of a child's place in the covenant. Jesus lays his hands on infants and says, the kingdom of God belongs to these. Well, that's a radical thing for a Jew to do, to lay his hands on somebody. That's like an ordination. Uh, You find Paul calling children saints. He writes to uh, Ephesus and says, to the saints in Ephesus, and then directly addresses children. In 1 Corinthians 7, children are called clean and holy. Uh, There's nowhere in scripture that specifically repeals, but you just find it affirmed. Peter says the promises to you and to your children. Right. This isn't going, this hasn't gone anywhere. It's been affirmed. It's been expanded. It's been bettered. I have more hope for my children than Abraham did because I'm in the new covenant. Right. So when they say why it's, well, my children are in the covenant. Right. Well, and that's when you mentioned Joel two, you have the, the first day um, some will say the first day of the church, the New Testament church, where the Holy Spirit is poured out upon Pentecost. Um, and Peter gives his sermon, um, and Peter says to them in Acts 2, um, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as the many as the Lord our God shall call. Mm. Quoting Joel 2, right. saying, this, this is new. The, the, the new thing is happening, but you're to bring your children with you mm-hmm. in, in all of this. As a part of the congregation, that's very important to say. Yeah. Because congregation is ecclesia, that's church. Yeah. Saying your children are a part of the church. Right. And the children can then sit in the church and look up and down the aisles and go, My people. These are my people. Mm-hmm. I, I know... I know um, I belong here. Mm-hmm. This is this is this is me. And the church is the body of Christ. And Paul says, "For as many of you as have been baptized are in the body of Christ, have been united to Christ." So, if your children are a part of the body of Christ, what is the underlying assumption that they have been baptized? Mm-hmm. Well, that didn't really need to be explicitly be said because I believe that it was understood that 
uh, baptism counted as circumcision. Mm-hmm. That baptism fulfilled circumcision. Uh, it's interesting that believers are members of the covenant of were members of the covenant of circumcision, as it is called. So, we are called the circumcision, right? Meaning, we are recognized as being circumcised. That's what Paul says time, time and time again in Philippians three three. He calls us the circumcision. He said. In Colossians two thirteen, you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, to be transferred from the the life of the flesh, mm-hmm. then bringing coming into the the, the communion with God. Um, you come in there. God is God is cutting away the flesh nature, and that's where when we started at the the top of the episode, of we're looking at the the circumcision that happens that was supposed to be a spiritual. That there was a there's a spiritual reality that goes with the physical sign. So this whole time we've been talking a lot about circumcision, and the question that's going to pop up is why are you talking about circumcision? Yeah, <laughs> and we promised to iron out the fulfillment of circumcision that was baptism, and to prove to you that that is the way that Paul and the other apostles saw it. And it's interesting. I might add, it's just an interesting little side note that in the early church, uh, the circumcision. I mean, baptism was called circumcision by washing, circumcision by water. Mm. So that's just a cool, interesting little side note, but that's what we're about to try to iron out as best as we can. So I'm going to start in Colossians 2, verse 6. As you also have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so ye walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in faith as as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off of the body of, the, the body of sins of the flesh by circumcision of Christ." Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath been quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. This passage so wildly, clearly um, links baptism with circumcision, basically using the two terms interchangeably. Mm-hmm. You were uncircumcised, now you're circumcised. Right. Um, this, is, this is really, really interesting. Um, it, it's such a hang-up, um, but once, it, once, it, once you see it... You can't um, unsee it. You can't unsee it. Right. Um, the end of verse 11, where it says, um, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh... By the circumcision of Christ, mm-hmm. what is the what is the circumcision of Christ? That's a that's such a wild. Um, you're like, oh, is this is this a new? So if you're if you're asking for a new command from the Old Testament, um, okay, there was there was circumcision in the Old Testament. Now there's this New Testament, and now we have Paul saying that there's a, a circumcision of Christ. That Christ has uh, his own version, if you will. It's the uh, same version it's always been. Circumcision 2.0, right? right. Um, it, it's found its fulfillment 
in Christ. What does it look like? What does it mean? Well, it's baptism. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the, this passage um, shows us a, a link between the two. Yeah, not even just a link, but a, a direct correlation. It says that the same thing was affected by both circumcision and baptism. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. And then he elaborates on that by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. So he speaks You received that mark by being buried with him in baptism. Right. So he, he speaks of the circumcision made without hands, the spiritual circumcision, and baptism affecting the same thing. Mm-hmm. being the same thing. <clears throat> so that's a direct correlation you can't get around. Yeah. That circumcision and baptism are spoken of as the exact same act. Right. It's it's there. It's plain. Right. <laughs> uh, it's almost so clear that I have problems explaining it besides just reading it. Right. So I'm going to read it again. <laughs> In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. If it weren't for that word having being like like a continuation of what is happening, mm-hmm. then maybe you can make an argument. But he said, you were circumcised without hands, having been buried with him in baptism. Meaning like this circumcision happened to you through baptism. Right. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear. And then you put that together with <clears throat> all the other texts that Paul says, saying like calling the church circumcision, saying you've been circumcised of heart, saying you once were not a part of Israel, but now you are, having been circumcised of heart. Being grafted in. Uh, it becomes clear that in the mind of Paul, in the mind of the apostles, circumcision, uh, baptism is the direct fulfillment of circumcision. So what we've done now is we've established that children are a part of the covenant. Everybody in the covenant needs to be circumcised in that circumcision has been fulfilled by baptism. Mm-hmm. So what does that get you? Everybody in the covenant needs to be baptized. Our children are part of the covenant. Yes. Yes. Absolutely they are. And there's more direct uh, evidence of that elsewhere in scripture. But it's important I mean just look up just look up the word circumcised on whatever Bible app and it becomes very clear. Yeah. You you start to see and filter results by the New Testament. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. because <laughs> um, even when uh, uh, Peter talks about it in first Peter three, um, which people will We'll try and take and say uh, baptismal regeneration, uh, the figure whereunto whereunto even baptism doth now also save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Christ. Hmm. And so we see Christ's death and resurrection being linked to our baptism, the, the Christian's baptism. It's not the physical thing that's happening. You're not wiping away. It's not just a bath. Your baptism isn't just washing dirt off of your skin. Yeah. Uh, it's washing away uh, and restoring a good conscience before God. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 1 Corinthians 7. Let's do it. Um, this is the more direct, clear uh, example of infant baptism in the Bible. Probably the, say. Yeah, probably the, the most uh, clear. Uh, let's see, where do we start? Um, 14. Yeah. For the unbelieving husband, well, let's do 13. And the woman which has an unbelieving husband and believe not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. 
else were your children unclean, but now are they holy? So it clarifies an unbelieving adult spouse is considered unclean. Again, when you're, when you're, if you put yourself in the mind of a first century Jewish believer and you start hearing these, um, these phrases, unclean, your children would be unclean. They know what that meant. Mm-hmm. That meant they had to go outside of the camp. You weren't allowed to approach the temple. You weren't allowed to approach the tabernacle. You weren't allowed to worship God. You were, you were outside of the covenant community because you were unclean. It would happen when you would touch a dead body. You know, after having a, a child, mm-hmm. a woman was be would be considered unclean. You have these diseases. Whoa, my mic just tried to kamikaze me. You're you were you were unclean if you had these diseases, leprosy, um, that type of thing. You had to be. You were separate. Mm-hmm. You were you were nominally part of the congregation of Israel but you weren't allowed to come in to as, as one of the people on the, the Sabbath worship. New Testament, now you start hearing these phrases like, you were unclean. Right. Now you're clean. You're clean. Okay, the, the, the person who has any frame of reference for the Old Testament um, goes, okay, my children would have been unclean, but my spouse, as an unbelieving spouse, is unclean, but because I'm believing... My children are ceremonially clean, yeah. allowed to approach the presence of God. Right. That's big. It's it's huge. <laughs> so a lot of people are going to say, well, he calls the, the spouse uh, sanctified. So are you saying that the spouse should be baptized? No, you, you, there needs to be a delineation. The spouse is called sanctified. The child is called sanctified. But only the child is called clean. Clean. Yeah. So... We infer from that that the child of at least one believing parent should be baptized or else they would be unclean. Right. Because baptism is what makes you clean. Where do we get that? Well, if you take the Greek word for clean and unclean, it actually is a synonym for baptized and unbaptized. For example, in John 3.25, a dispute arose about the purifications or the, the the baptisms of John and Jesus and stuff. The Greek word used there is the same thing, clean and unclean. It's the right. same Greek word. So actually, you could translate 1 Corinthians 7.14 like this. Otherwise, your children would be unbaptized, but now they are holy. Mm. That's a synonym. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, would your children be unbaptized? Right. So so Paul, what he's doing there is addressing the worries of parents in, in Corinth who are saying, if I have an unbelieving spouse, does that make my chi- my child unclean? And should they have not been baptized? Because according to uh, Zechariah or other passages, it says, if you uh, marry these people, your children are unclean. So they're worried about that. Well, Paul quells their conscience and says, no, your children are your children are holy, and therefore they're clean. Right. That's why they've been baptized. And the and the difference being that they're, they're called, not just the word holy, is also used, as, translated in our New Testament as saints. Right. So I guess. Y- y- you translate that as, um, else were your children unbaptized, but now they are saints. Mm-hmm. They were brought They were brought in, they're in this with you. They're, they're saints. They're part of this. They're baptized. Because um, he, he, it's, it's a double negative. Um, they would have been, Unclean. They would have been unbaptized, but now 
they're baptized, they're right. clean. He's, they're holy. He's explaining why this is important, why the why the the family is important. Uh, what is the person doing who comes to faith and goes, "What about my kids? My husband doesn't believe, but my kids. What what about them?" And we're, we're trying not to. Um, Paul Paul is laying this case out to clarify that there's not a there's not two different kinds of Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, that the the body of Christ is is one, um, and those children who are brought into faith by baptism are raised as Christians. Um, and as many are fond of saying, is that um, God will sort it out in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, he knows who his children are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he uh, He calls those whom he will to faith and repentance right. uh, in, in him. Well, um, okay, so three chapters later in 1 Corinthians, you have in 1 Corinthians 10, at the very beginning, you have what I see as the second most clear uh, allusion to infant baptism, where Paul says, for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they were all pa- and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock which accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. So Paul is making an argument here to the Corinthians saying, the Jewish church in the wilderness had the same thing we have. You think you're the only one who's been baptized? Mm-hmm. No, they were baptized too. You think you're the only one who partakes of Jesus Christ spiritually in the Eucharist? No, they partook of him too. So don't think you're special, <laughs> essentially is what he's saying. Right. But what's interesting is that he says all were baptized uh, while they went through the sea, when, when the sea parted. Well, who was who was there? Well, it says all Israel was baptized. Were the children with them or were they not? Did they like dump off their babies before they ran through the sea because they didn't believe in infant baptism? Part of the whole issue of the people leaving Egypt was that Pharaoh didn't want to let the kids go with them. Right. They Pharaoh one of Pharaoh's offers to the people of Israel, when he talks with Moses, he says, You can go, just take the men with you. Mm-hmm. And Moses is like, No deal. And Moses' response is it's no. all or nothing. <laughs> His response is no, we must worship the Lord. Yeah. So in Moses' mind, the infants were going to worship the Lord. Yep. So like right here, unless you're going to argue that there was no infants with with Israel when they passed through the sea, which is ludicrous, then you have to admit that the infants were baptized. And you have to admit that Paul's making a one-to-one correlation with the church of Corinth after just saying that your children are holy. Right. So that's very clear to me that infants were to be baptized and that Paul assumed that and that the Corinthians believed that. But I also want, I want to address two things real quick. Yeah. Repentance in, in the confession, like you must confess and believe. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people will say, repent and be baptized. You must repent and be baptized. You know, that's the pattern of the, of the Bible. Right. So imagine the Passover. Okay. So in the Passover, actually, let me frame it this way. When it says repent and be baptized, it is not saying that that it's not a correlation that only those who repent must be baptized. That doesn't follow from that sentence. For example, when Moses told the Israelites, you must uh, put this blood on your door and you must be inside of your house this night or you will die. The angel of death will will like mess up everything in its path and you need to be in your house with the blood on your mantle 
or you'll die. Mm -hmm. He said that to Israel, the men of Israel. Did the men of Israel therefore say, because my children are not capable of this repentance, I'm leaving them outside to die. (laughs) They didn't say that. It's not a correlation that the command, that those who receive the command are the only ones who receive the sign. Right. Because the men of Israel took their babies and their wives and their families inside and saved their babies and their wives from the angel of death. So repentance is a command to adults. It's a command to heads of households, but you are to bring your family to repentance with you. Mm -hmm. You are to bring your family to baptism, to the baptismal font with you. Right. So does that make sense what I'm trying to say? Yeah. It's it's not a one-to-one correlation. Just because you're told to repent doesn't mean you don't take your children with you into repentance and raise them in repentance. Right. Well, and on the the same note what was the what was the punishment for failing to keep the command of god at the passover was that the it was the death of the firstborn so you end up with this okay if i if i don't bring my children in they die right what happens if you leave that child if you exclude that child and saying well god told me to put the thing on my door um I, I need to leave my child out. You're leaving your child to die. So not not following the command as God gave it was a sentence of death on your children. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a generational it's a generational thing. Right. So I think one one last uh, as we kind of wrap it up here, we have to introduce the um, best friend to pedo baptism, our old friend, post millennialism. Yeah. And, and how important and how well they go together mm-hmm. under the authority of Christ. Yeah. He says, all authority, the Great Commission is this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what's the authority that's given to the, the, um, to the baptism? Is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go make disciples of all nations. Um, what are we doing when we have children? We're making, disciples. We're making little disciples. Like, <laughs> in the most literal sense possible, <laughs> we're making little disciples. Right. Um, and so when he says, go make disciples of all nations, he's doing it on his authority, saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so the baptism of our children is to say, I recognize Christ's authority on earth in my household. My children are under Christ's authority mm-hmm. because he's king in this world. Right. He, he's the one in charge. And so we're recognizing Christ as king in the baptism of our children. Right. And you don't, your children don't have to physically confess in order to be baptized. Because that's salvation by works. Right. You don't have to actually, what if somebody's mute? What if they can't talk? Does that mean they can never be saved? Yeah. No, you're saved by faith alone. Confession is a fruit of that, but you can't draw the one-to-one correlation. Yeah. Okay. He he. Paul was talking to adults who could talk. He wasn't talking to their children, and it's a given that their children are included when you take all of Scripture into account. And when you take all of Scripture into account, the postmillennial hope is for us and our children. Right. We're going to take over the world one diaper at a time, one baby at a time, one baby baptism at a time. Yeah. And it's a it's a beautiful thing to look at look at Christ 
saving his people. One of the things that we can that, that we give as a congregational charge in our church, um, when when a child is baptized, we say that they were baptized. You know, you give the charge to the child, and we say, "You yet knowing nothing of it." The the faith that uh, God is doing, the thing that He's doing, the thing that's being signified in there, um, is consistent with the biblical doctrine mm-hmm. of God's regenerating work in us. Mm-hmm. He does it. It's His work. Yep. Um, it's not us doing our works. Yeah. It's not us benefiting from our personal decision. Mm-hmm. It's it's purely of God, a gift of faith from God, and His covenant faithfulness throughout all generations to a thousand generations mm-hmm. of those that love Him and keep His commands. Amen. So, go baptize your babies. Do it right now. <laughs> As our friends from uh, Cross Politic are po- fond of saying, um, if you're Don't. single, if you're single, get yeah. married. If you're married, have kids. If you got kids, go baptize them. Um, and commune them. And commune them. We'll get around. We'll get around <laughs> to that one. We thank you guys for joining us. This has been another episode of Born to Reign. We will catch you guys next time. See ya.